SOP, moment of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. Some of, some of the people got rain and we're still trusting You for it. We thank You for providing this place and this time, the grace system of perception. Everything is there available for us. We just have to add our positive volition to it and grace is always the key. So we pray that You will help us to focus as we study Your Word this evening for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you got your issue of the Berean call. I keep telling y'all, this is free. You can get it, thebereancall.org. And it is one of the most uh, doctrinally sound periodicals you can get. And it, most of this whole newsletter is about the millennium. The Bible has a lot to say about the millennium. And it's very timely for us because we just finished 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, which has to do with eschatology. This is the uh, in the latter days, the things that are going to unfold. And there's very little of uh, understanding in general Christianity about eschatology. And according to what this is saying is that most people uh, do not subscribe to the premillennial viewpoint that we have. Now, when we're talking about premillennial, we're talking about we believe that Jesus Christ is going to return before the millennium starts. In fact, we go even deeper and say that he is going to return even before the tribulation starts. But as this article reveals that most of the denominations, most of Christendom, do not adhere to the premillennial view. They are either amillennial or they are postmillennial. Amillennial means that there are a lot of people out there that don't think there's going to be a millennium at all. In other words, they don't think that Jesus Christ is literally going to return and set up a kingdom here on earth and rule from the capital city of the world, which will be Jerusalem, for a thousand years. And the curse of the earth is going to be removed and it's going to be perfect environment. Even though the Bible has a lot to say about this, a lot of people get into the amillennial viewpoint that this is not going to take place. Pretty close akin to that is postmillennialism. It's the idea that Jesus Christ is going to return a thousand years after the church has essentially brought the world up to speed to where now it will accommodate Christ and He'll just come at the end of that thousand years to do some judging. But the earth, I mean the church, pretty much has, is going to take care of it. Now, there's at least two ideologies that subscribe to this. One of them is called restruction, uh, reconstruction, which the church is going to reconstruct the world to where it's going to be suitable for Christ. 
and also dominion theology, that the church is going to take dominion over the earth, are two of the ideologies that have the idea uh, that subscribe to the post-millennial view. Now, this is, this is one, well, I guess it's two or three sentences here, but this surprised me because I knew that these viewpoints were out there, but I didn't know they were so prevalent. This is on page four of the bringing call of the October issue. He says, uh, and this is Tom McMahon, he says, um, Amillennialism is the most common eschatological belief among professing Christians. That is, that there's no millennium. It is the view of Roman Catholics. I knew that. Greek and Russian Orthodox churches, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Anglicans, Episcopalians, and the Church of Christ, and some independent Baptists, and most Calvinists. That is a lot of folks that subscribe to this. And once you get skewed in any part of truth, you get off course, you start going in the wrong direction, and you can start buying into even more false doctrines. Most, not all, but most of the people that are into amillennialism or postmillennialism have also bought into the idea of replacement theology. Replacement theology is the idea that the church has replaced Israel. And all those unconditional covenants and all the things that are yet on the agenda for Israel really isn't for Israel. God is through and done with them. Now it's the church that is the new Israel. And when you get into that, you, you just get so skewed in all of your eschatology. So most of the people in all of these denominations also subscribe to replacement theology. And I will also add that many of them, I'm not saying most, it could be most, but many of them also subscribe to covenant theology. Covenant theology means that they don't believe in dispensationalism. They don't believe that God deals with mankind in different segments of time in different ways. Uh, covenant theologians think that there's only two covenants. One of them is the covenant of grace. I can't doesn't bring to mind right now might be the covenant of works. And the whole Bible has to do with, with that, which there is no uh, specific covenant in the Bible uh, that really addresses either one of those. In other words, there's not a covenant of grace. There's not a covenant of works. There is the Noahic and the Abrahamic and the Palestinian and the Davidic and the new covenants. Those are unconditional covenants. But there's not, none, none of the others that I, that I was uh, speaking of. So that is, that is to me, uh, alarming to see so many of the people who uh, buy into that idea. He, he also explains that in the 1970s, 1980 area, there, the big focus of Christians at that time was on the rapture. You might remember that there were even bumper stickers and there were um, books that were uh, being put, uh, put out. Uh, is that when the late, great 
late great planet Earth. I think that was a little before then, but you also had the uh, Left Behind series and everybody was talking about the rapture. Well, that has pretty well uh, subsided. The fact that Israel is back in the land and now and the rapture has not happened has caused some people to throw a damper on their anticipation of Jesus Christ's return and taking us, His, fan, his body, up to heaven. Now the focus is more, the, the whole uh, focus is shifted more to this area of the church taking over the world. And there are a lot, you, I've just talked about uh, not only millions, but billions of people in these different areas of uh, theology, professing Christians that don't subscribe to the rapture at all. And we have been studying how important the rapture is. It is the focal, focal point of what is next on the agenda for us. It is the blessed hope. It has a purifying effect on all of us because we want to be uh, seen as faithful servants to the Lord when He returns. There's a lot of things that we've seen and we've gone into great detail, but I would would tell you that the this particular issue is very, very good. Uh, there's On page 10, it talks about the late great rapture theory by Dave Hunt. And it's excerpted from Whatever Happened to Heaven. That is the book that uh, uh, Dave wrote. He says in this one sentence, Needless to say, the church has not remained untouched by the current currents of upheaval and transformation. He's talking about uh, how it's the winds have become gale force through the halls of tradition and now scientific discovery and all these other issues has got the, the church's focus off. And he says, influenced by the world as never before, though the subtlety, uh, excuse me, through the subtleties and persuasive power of the modern media, Christians are being adversely affected in numerous and deceptive ways. The faith of many, particularly the young, is being devastated by the challenge of scientific or progressive ideas which also undermine biblical standards of morality. This whole thing is just really uh, well done. So, the fact that we have been in First and Second Thessalonians is good timing. I don't think that it was by accident. There are very few Christians like yourselves that can go out into the world, whether it be unbelievers or whether it be believers who have bought into amillennialism, which were all those uh, people in denominations and so forth that we listed, and be able to stand firm for the truth. Very, very few believers are able to do that. And so because you have availed yourself of the truth, you've shown positive volition, you've learned about what is next on the agenda. We've even gone into the specifics of it. Now, you can go out and not be confused by all of the false ideas that are circulating out there. But it also means you're in the crosshairs. But we do not fear. That's the best place to be. That's, that's where uh, I have a friend of mine, he's always saying, the fun is where the giants are. 
Okay, let's get back to our Second Thessalonians review. I was thinking we might get through with it tonight. You laugh. <laughs> and I don't, I don't blame you. I would laugh too. But it was a thought. Here it is on the board. We're studying the doctrine of separation. And now we're going to look at separation from God rejectors. To kind of bring you up to speed, this is all uh, coming from uh, the doctrine of separation here from chapter 3. And we've gone through uh, quite a bit of it, but we're going to focus on God rejectors would be unbelievers. We are to separate from them, but Paul does a good, a good job of explaining that separating from them under normal conditions of working, associating with people when we have to, that's not what it's talking about. Essentially, he's talking about uh, not associating with them on a social level. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. First two verses of the Psalms. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now this is Old Testament, but we can put this together and understand how it applies to us. Uh, we wouldn't say that we delight necessarily in the law of the Lord, but in the doctrine, in the truths, the principles that God has set forth both in the Old and New Testament. And we should be meditating upon them day and night. I've been trying to emphasize this with the young people and... Young people are just like old people, only they're younger. Now, that is a profound statement. However, they have probably more distractions than we do. We don't normally leave the house and go into an area where there are a lot of, of our peers at our same age that are very impressionable and have all different kind of ideas um, and it's very easy for them to, to not even have a thought about God or the Bible or doctrine. A whole day could go by and it never even come into their thought pattern. But that's not just for young people. That can be for adults as well. But for us who are the royal family, those of us who are hopefully the metacoi, the overcomers, the ones who are growing in grace and knowledge, we should be the ones that have set our thought pattern based on these precepts. We meditate on them. We think about them. We use those doctrines every single day. We get up, we put on the full, full armor of God, and one of the most vicious enemies we have to fight is the arrogance in our own self and the tendency to try to handle things by ourselves and be distracted from thinking divine viewpoint. So when you are associating with unbelievers and you're trying to fit in, it's not a good thing. You don't have to be better than thou. I'm not talking about being a legalist. 
But you should form friendships and relations with people who are not only believers, those who are positive believers. If, if you don't love to talk about God, the Bible, His doctrine, if that's not your favorite thing to focus on, then something is not what it should be. It shouldn't be drudgery to meditate upon God's principles. It should get to the point to where it's automatic. And when someone brings up a doctrinal issue, when someone brings up the Lord, or it's just like, uh, have you ever seen a horse when he's interested in something, his ears t- turn that way and his head turns that way? That's the way I am. I can be around people or whatever, and they'll say something about the Bible or doctrine or anything, and I'm just, Ding, man, I'm zeroed in on it because that's what I'm really interested in. Well, you're a pastor. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or not. This isn't directed at pastors. Meditate on it day and night. So your relationship should be focused on those who are going to support you, exhort you, motivate you in a doctrinal way. Now, that's not to say that if you have a neighbor and he's an unbeliever that you, you won't even talk to him. If he comes over and wants to borrow a rake, you say, get out of here, you reprobate. I'm not saying that. You, know, you don't want to take it too far. The next one is from human viewpoint and worldliness. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many of you have these on your list of favorite verses? Well... <laughs> I'll just say y'all are shy. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I think some translation says your reasonable service. It's only reasonable to do this. And do not be conformed to this world. Of course, the Greek says stop being conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, not being conformed to the world does not mean that if you're a lady and there's a new hairstyle out and you want to do it, you can't do it because you're a Christian or that you have to wear a dress all the way down to the floor and all the way up to your wrist and up to your neck, and you have to go around with slumped shoulders or any of those. That's not what it's talking about. Look what it says. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What area is it talking about not to be transformed? In your mind. That's the whole, that's where the game is. The whole ball game is in your mind. And if you're not consistently taking in the Word, you are going to be duped. You're going to believe the lies and you're going to spiral down and crash and burn. And I don't mean going to hell. You know I don't mean that. We are to separate from religion and apostasy. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But realize, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Wow, how did he know that? He was, was he smart? I guess he was smart. Of course, this is written by the Holy Spirit through a, a man. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Right on target so far, right? 
boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So far, you won't hear anybody on the TV or most pastors or anyone tell the truth about what the latter days are going to be like. But you can go to the Word and it's not going to sugarcoat it. It's not going to hold back. It's going to tell you exactly what it's like. And I'm telling you, I don't have to tell you, you know as well as I do, this is spot on with regards to the conditions that things are like today. And he says, well, look at this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a stake through the heart of not only our society, any society you want to go to in the world. Holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, what does it say to do about these? Avoid such men as these. You know, you can't start too young when, when your grandchildren or children, I don't care how old they are, you have to be looking for opportunities to start transforming their mind the way that they think. I have an example fresh on my mind. It has to do with me, so I'm sorry. That's the only one I can think of at the time. I was talking to my grandson today about, I guess it was about 4 o'clock, on the computer. There's this thing called Uvo or Uvu, and you can see him on the computer as you're talking to him. He's got it, and so he's, we're hooked up, and he calls me. And he gets on there, and he's doing all these things on the computer that, uh, you know, he, he says, watch this, Papa, and he puts a, somehow a frame comes up around his face. He says, watch this, look at the bubbles. And these bubbles come up, and there's a picture of him in it as the bubbles come up. And he, he's just doing all these things on there, and I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm really wild. I said, oh, you're really something. And then we, for some reason, I guess it's raining in Houston, we lost contact. A few minutes later, he rang again. I answered it. And he says, guess what? I said, what? He said, uh, I was asking that you would answer the phone. I said, really, who were you asking? He said, nobody. I said, well, what are you saying? Are, were you wishing or were you praying? And you could see him. He was. I said, when you wish, you're just talking to yourself. But what I said, when you pray, you're asking the God of the universe to help you, and He will. Now, you know, it's just because I saw an opportunity to explain something to Him, but if we're not alert, we can let opportunities like that go by. And I tried to make it as simple as I could, but I wanted Him to know that He, could, he can have contact with God. And He seemed a little embarrassed just talking about God, so I'm going to have to deal with that. Uh, but anyway... This is, is never too young. You can't be vigilant enough to look for opportunities to help those in your family or friends to have the transformation that takes place in the mind. Because that's where the whole ball game is. It's sometimes hard to separate friends and family, to separate from them, but if we ignore this command, we will regret it. 
If we don't remove ourselves from the bad behavior, mental attitudes, sins, and spiritual apathy of others, it will bring us down. God knows that. That's why He ejected out of the land, Canaan I'm talking about, when Joshua went over, He didn't go in there and say, well, now let's just all live together in peace. Can't we all just get along? Who was that, Rodney King? Remember him? Can't we just get along? No, we cannot. The reason we cannot is because there's a lot of degenerates out there. There's a lot of God-hating, grace-rejecting pagans that want to live immoral lives. They want to reject the truth. And we can't get along with them. Now, I'm not talking about doing violence against them or anything, but we have to separate from them. I think sometimes we think that we are better. When I say better, I'm talking about more powerful than we really are. There are some people that I know that have gone into churches that were apostate with the idea that when I go in there, I know I've got the truth and I, I, I'm on a mission to straighten out this church and, and to get them aright. And I had this one person, I said, do not do it. I said, you are, you're going to put your head in the lion's mouth if you do that. Number one, it would be wrong to do because he would be undermining the authority of that pastor. And you don't do that and get by with it. Second of all, it's not that he's going to go in there and change their mind. What's going to happen is, I don't know, there might be a couple of hundred of them and one of him. He's going to be whittled out. None of us are that strong. So, even though it may be difficult to do, we just have to trust God that when we do what He calls on us to do, what do you, what do you say? Avoid such men as these. Separate from them. Get out. Get away from them. And don't do it in such a way that they are confused. Tell them why. I am required by the Word of God to separate from people who are immoral and anti-God, God-rejectors, and have bought the lie because they can bring me down. And I cannot condone that. If I condone it, then I'm in the crosshairs of God's discipline. I don't want to be there. Number seven, tolerating those who have become negative or antagonistic towards doctrine not only harms us, but it harms them as well. It does not show love to others pretending all is well when it is not. It's not easy or pleasant to discontinue a relationship, but when someone is out of control, a relationship with them, listen to this, is not worth having. Anytime you have to compromise doctrine, it's going to interfere with your relationship with God. Because you want this other relationship. What you're really doing is putting that above God. God says get away from them. Then you're in trouble and you're not helping them either. Separation helps the errant friend or family member to realize the seriousness of their bad attitude or behavior. Your toleration may be seen by them as a sign that you condone or approve of their sin. Now we're not talking about I'll get to this in a, in a few moments, but we're not talking about having a little tiff with someone. We're talking about someone who is in gross immorality or sin. They're not taking uh, responsibility for it. They're trying to act as if it's just fine and God has to accept it. Well, God doesn't have to accept it and He doesn't expect us to accept it either. And one way that we demonstrate 
that we are on God's side, we're on the side of righteousness, is to put space between us and them. When separation is necessary, care must be taken that we don't appear to be superior, self-righteous, or judgmental. We don't have a choice. We are commanded by the Word of God to do it. Of course, prayer for the person and prayer for direction in handling the situation is a must. Now, I hope that I'm not coming across that when you think that you need to separate from someone, that you go marching up to them and you throw your chest out and you lay down the law and you have no compassion, that you are, uh, they're going to take that as an air of superiority, which we're not. I think a good thing to do when you separate from someone and you're doing it biblically, that you should let, acknowledge them, let them know, I am a sinner. I'm not better than you. But there are certain sins, there are certain things that are so heinous that God commands me to separate from you. It's not that I'm better than you. But what you're involved in, what you're doing is so wrong, it cannot be condoned, even to the point of if it costs a relationship between us, so be it. What's that going to do for them? They're going to see how serious it is, whatever, whatever they are into. We are not to separate from others because we get our feelings hurt. By the way, that's what happens so often. We get our feelings hurt and we think, aha, I'll make them pay. I'll separate from them. That's not why we separate. Or because we, are, we get hurt feelings or because someone has wronged us in some way. Separation is only called for when someone continues to sin and refuses to take responsibility for it. You got that? Now, here's, here's a, a chart that kind of will help, hopefully. Certain things we're supposed to tolerate, certain things we're not. So this is just kind of a, a list to give you an idea. Things that the Bible never requires us to tolerate. Abuse of a wife or a child. I guess there, there may be cases where a husband is abused, but that would be very rare. Usually it's the wife that is abused or the child. I have this question all the time. Well, this does talking about physical abuse or mental abuse. And it appears to me that most cases we're, we're talking about physical abuse. Because if you've been married for any length of time, uh, there have probably been uh, voices raised. Let's just put it that way. That is no excuse to separate. I knew a, a lady one time, and she had been uh, married for, I think, 40-something years. <laughs> and she said, we have never had an argument. And I just, okay. You know, I, I don't know. I, my, I think it's impossible. I don't think you live with anybody for 40 years. Four years, a year, four months, four weeks, <laughs> four days without having some kind of argument. I mean, there's going to be disagreements. But abuse, if a, if a, if a, a husband is abusing the wife or child, if they, and if the wife is afraid 
for the children's well-being or hers, she is not required to tolerate that. Crimes such as theft, assault, uh, assault and so forth, we, we don't, uh, we're not required to tolerate crime. Adultery, you see now, you don't have to tolerate adultery. Adultery is a very serious sin because it breaks a trust in a marriage. And when you don't have trust in marriage, you don't hardly have a marriage. You don't have to tolerate it. Well, let me put it this way. You are not to tolerate it if it's ongoing. Now, if there is adultery and someone takes responsibility for it and they say, uh, uh, I, I messed up, it could be either the husband or the wife. In a weak moment, I succumbed. I know it's wrong. I'm asking for forgiveness, and I'll never do it again. And blah, you know, whatever it is. You're not. You don't have to say. You're not required to say no. You committed adultery. Therefore, I'm required to to get a divorce. You're not required to. And if you want to try to rebuild that trust in that marriage and 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 uh, continue, you have the option to do that. But to tolerate ongoing adultery is not to be tolerated. Did I, did I make that distinction clear enough? Homosexuality, no, period. Now, again, if there was someone that has been into homosexuality and they acknowledge that it's a sin and they are struggling with it, but they're trying their best, they're asking God to help them and so forth, and they are trying not to uh, get into this abominable thing, then you could remain, you, maybe you can help them, you can pray for them, take them to the Scriptures. Uh, but uh, what, what comes to mind, uh, I guess it's been probably five or six years ago since I had um, any dealings with a homosexual that called me from New York City. I, I, he got on the website, he wanted someone to talk to, and he started talking to me, and he revealed that he was a homosexual. And I said, well, what do you think about that? you think God allows that? He said, well, I'm not sure. Well, I said, let me tell you, he does not. I said, you just be thankful you weren't living in the time of Moses. You'd be executed if they found it out. And so he understood that. And then he would call me from time to time, and he would tell me he, 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 he slept maybe here or there, but he's still struggling. He's still trying to do it. And I told him I would talk to him. I would have somewhat of a relationship. I never met him. It was always over the phone. But the first hint that he was trying to say it was okay, boom, I cut him dead right then. And he knew it. I told him so. The first time that you try to start making excuses that it's okay, our conversation and our relationship is over. So that's how the distinction that I'm showing you. You can have a relationship with someone that is, is not condoning it and trying to act as if God approves of it. Of course, incest, pederasty, bigamy, uh, none of these, these are uh, sexual sins. You, uh, you don't tolerate that at all. Children's bad behavior. Now, this might be a newsflash for some people. Parents are not required to tolerate children's bad behavior. And it's, it's, it's to our utter shame today that when parents take measures to get their children under control, even if it's corporal punishment, in our society, these children can be taken away. The parents can be fined. They can be put in jail. All that is an absolute shame because the Bible advocates get your children under control. You do not have to obey 
these ideas that you can't get your children under control because you don't have to you do not have to not only do you not have to tolerate their bad behavior you are condemned by God if you do not get them under control intrusion of privacy you have to use your own best judgment in that. I mean, you can confide in certain people, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But you don't want to go around blabbing all your intimate business to everyone. You know what's going to happen, don't you? Why are people surprised when it, they hear something coming back if they blabbed everything to everybody? And then it comes back to them that somebody said this, and of course, by the time they hear it, it's ten times worse than what the deal actually is, and they're surprised. This is discernment. You can trust certain people, close, people that you're close to, that has earned your trust, and you can tell them private things to a degree. Bad language. I don't tolerate bad language. Now, when I'm saying bad language, somebody says hell or damn or something like that. I don't fall to pieces. I, and I hate to be around. I've been, when I go around guys, I'm a guy. I want to be one of them like I always have been. But when they know you're a pastor, they'll say something. Well, son of a... Boom. And then they'll... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Pastor. Look, I do not have virgin ears. Um, you know, I'm not going to melt down when I hear someone say something. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about ongoing... Uh, the kind of bad language... Well, the next word, vulgarity, is... is akin to this, especially around children. And today, it's, it's, um, you think you're protecting your children from bad language? If they go to a public school, they probably could teach you a few words. But that's, you don't have to tolerate it, especially guys. You know, when I went to high school, there was still a measure of, uh, I don't know the word, being a gentleman, we would not use bad language around girls, and if a guy did, the other guys would jump on him. And that's, it, it's unfortunate that it's not still that way because I've been around a few young people, not the ones here at this church, but I've been in other areas, and to my surprise, the girls talked worse than the guys. The girls had more tattoos, more piercings, and they talked like a sailor, and I was surprised. That's just another indication of how far our society has slipped. When was the last time you ever heard of a young girl blushing? Young girls today can even make me blush. Bullying? You don't, you don't tolerate bullying or tyranny. These are things that you are not required to tolerate. You can be a Christian when someone comes around and tries to put their hands on you, tries to bully you, bully you, try to force you into do something you don't want to do, you don't have to tolerate that. Now, what do we tolerate? Here's the other side of the coin. Notice this is in green. Ingratitude. You just tolerate that. It's unfortunate that people today don't show gratitude as much as they should. Do you know what the best way to show gratitude? Two words. That's all it takes. Thank you. It should, doesn't have to be anything more, but it certainly should not be anything less. 
And I've seen the, the, the young people, again, I'm excluding the ones here to the most part, that they don't even know what gratitude is. I told you about when I was driving a truck, uh, the bus, I was driving, a, I had 75 kids on that bus. Uh, 85% of them were um, dark skinned. And I had a little girl one time, it was, uh, she had a sack of uh, candy. When she opened that candy, it was like piranhas. They just were leaping over the seats and grabbing her candy and all. And it was fine with her. She was giving it to them. I mean, she didn't mind to share it. They all got it and was gobbling it down. Not one, I don't know, probably 70 of them got into that sack. Not one said thank you to her. And I couldn't take it. I pulled that bus over and we just had a little powwow right then and there. And I told them what I thought about kids that had no sense of gratitude and to take this girl's candy, all of them that she freely gave, and not one of you said, thank you. I'm ashamed of you. Of course, that penetrated about as much as the water goes through duck feathers. Made me feel better. Ingratitude. You just tolerate it. Thoughtlessness. We're thoughtless when when we don't even know we're thoughtless sometimes. And nobody knows that better than the men. Is that not true? Men can get in trouble when they're not even trying to. Uh, and th- they think they're being thoughtful, and then something is level at them, some accusation that comes out of left field, and you think, what? And you, and you what? I, 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 uh, yeah, uh, you know, we're in this mode. And, and we're sincere. We don't know... We just didn't know. This was insensitive. We didn't know that it was thoughtless. Now, I guess that happens to women too, but I've seen it a lot more with men. Well, men, women are well traditionally more sensitive and, and they think more of... Anyway, you ladies know what you have to tolerate. Um, and this is when we're trying. <laughs> what a, you know, that's when you're in the mode you can't win. So, Forgetfulness. We've all forgotten things, haven't we? And caused hardships on others. Well, what do you do? Do you take them to the woodshed? Do you... Uh, you're no longer my friend. I'm separating from you. You sinner! No, we all forget, don't we? Unfriendliness. You know, I guess it has to do with different personalities. But a lot of times someone might be unfriendly and you say... Hi, how you doing, Fred? And Fred just walks right through you. I mean, not through you, uh, by you. Just goes right on by. And you think, well, that was rude. Well, what's the matter with Fred? I thought he was my friend. And you can go from there and escalate it to where you never talk to Fred again. And Fred didn't even see you. He was so preoccupied with all the things that are... His house just burned down. His wife divorced. His dog bit him and all this. And he's trying to just make it through the day. And you're, you're going to separate from him because he didn't say, Hi, how you doing? You know that that happens. Huh? When was the last time somebody really ticked you off because you went out of your way to be friendly and they didn't even notice it? Or you were spurned. That's enough to get us up. I mean, you know, well, I'm ready to separate now. Pettiness, that's what I'm talking about. Petty things. And church, let me tell you something. Church people are the worst. 
They are the most petty people on the planet. Church people. And it shouldn't be that way. I don't know why I'm getting riled up on this, but you know it's true. I know, even in this church one time, we used to have get-togethers, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. After Sunday, we'll come back later, we'll all bring a dish, and we'll sit around, we'll talk about doctrine. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. I finally had to shut the whole thing down because everybody was so petty. What was you bring? What did you do? And it just went on and on. I said, shut down. Now, I guess that's why I was riled up a little bit, the pettiness. And so I started, talk, I started teaching doctrine then, and half of them didn't even come back. Well, idiosyncrasies. Boy, I know I've got them. <laughs> Carrie could write a book. And, you know, I'm glad that you all know me in the capacity that you do. You don't follow me home. I don't follow you home. So we can, we can live together. I mean, we can be, have our relationships. But you're weird. And I'm weird. That's what it's saying. <laughs> it, it's, it's blushing. <laughs> it has idiosyncrasies too. <laughs> that's one of them. I mean, when you, that's why it's so hard to live with people because when someone comes and lives with you, you really get to see them. You know, I mean, they crazy things. Things you would never do. And, and when you live with them, there they are. I mean, it's just there. I go on these conferences and sometimes I stay with guys in a room, share, share a room so that we can split the, the cost. And, wow. We all have them. I'm glad you're laughing. That means you know you're weird. Like me, I know I'm weird. Insults. Sometimes people just get snippy. They get snotty. They're rude for whatever reason, and you want to smack them. But that's not a reason to separate. best thing to do is, hey, what's really the matter? Because usually when someone insults you, it's not because of whatever petty thing they think is an excuse. There's an underlying, deeper problem, and that's what you want to address. Not the fact that they were rude to you. Why were they rude to you? What is it that really is the problem? And you know when you go to someone and you ask them that, what's the first answer you get? That's right. What's really the matter? Nothing. I'd like to skip this next one. <laughs> Impatience. Some people actually are impatient. And it comes out in various ways. I've got to bring this to an end because we're out of time nearly. This is good. <laughs> it's true. Insensitivity, that kind of goes along with thoughtlessness. I think probably thoughtlessness is a little more serious than insensitivity. Every guy knows. Does this dress make me look fat? When a guy is asked that question, he's like a deer in the headlights. 
Well, I guess sensitivity is the greater part of valor in that point. Outbursts of anger. You know, some of you, I've never seen you angry. Some of you, you look like you're incapable of being angry, but I know it ain't so. Some most mild, gentle people, they tolerate up to a point, probably tolerating things that they shouldn't be tolerating, maybe over here on the red side, and some little something, and all of a sudden, <coughs> you know, the venom comes out, the fangs, they're ready to strike. Outbursts of anger. Uh, gossip. When someone gossips about you, you just turn it over to the Lord. You're going to be vindicated by the Lord. You don't have to go and straighten all this gossip out because if they're a believer, they're going to get triple compound discipline when you gossip because you're spreading out hurt and you're spreading out a mental view of someone that taints the viewpoint of other people. And that's very serious in the Lord's eyes. And foibles. Foibles are very much like idiosyncrasies, only foibles starts with an F. <laughs> I don't know. That's as close as I can get as the difference, but I know that there might be a slight difference. But we all have foibles, idiosyncrasies, and the like. So we have to tolerate each other. God commands us to tolerate each other. But don't get mixed up and start trying to use unconditional love and tolerate somebody that's on the red side because we don't have to do that and that can lead to really big problems and all this on the red side you separate from those people you don't tolerate it now we're really out of time now and we'll pick this up next time I'm pretty sure that we're going to be through with 2 Thessalonians by next Tuesday I said pretty sure and we'll see where we're going next Father, thank you for this time you've given us to focus on this issue of separation. It's something that we should not relish. It's something that we are to do because we want to obey you and recognize that you know best. And when we do it, we pray that you will help us to have the right attitude and do it the right way. We pray that you will help us to continue to stand firm for the faith. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.